0: Welcome to The How, a W12 Plus podcast channeling water solutions. The How focuses on water solutions and the people behind them from around the world. Each episode, we uncover the professional and personal stories of people and organizations rethinking relationships to water. From W12 Plus, I'm your host, Judy Jane. You will meet my co-host, Renee Frank, in just one moment. René is the W12 Plus chairman. He is an engineer turned nonprofit director with a background in economics and media sciences. In this episode, we talk to Professor Fadi georges Khmer, director of the Energy, Environment, Water, and Research Center at the Cyprus Institute and a world-renowned water diplomat. Fadi works in arid and semi-arid regions, such as in the Mediterranean and Middle East. He was previously the chairperson of the UNESCO Intergovernmental Hydrogeological Program, IHP, and is currently a vice chairperson on the council. As an international negotiator specialized in transboundary water, Fadi initiated the concept of hydrodiplomacy in the 1990s, drawing on his negotiation experience in the Jordan River Basin, the Nile, and the Tigris and Euphrates. In this episode, Rene and I ask Fadi about how he approaches conflict, the Cyprus Institute's Hydrodiplomacy Partnership Program, balancing politics with science, and more. Without further ado, here's Fadi. Welcome, Fadi. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for your invite.
0: Like I mentioned,
2: I've heard some great things about you from Renee, so it's nice to chat with you. Um, And to get us started, I thought I would ask the three of us this question about conflict styles, because of your extensive experience with hydro diplomacy um, and negotiation, and so I think it's fun to think about. I think everyone is in—we're always in some kind of conflict, some kind of tension whenever we want something and someone else, you know, doesn't want the same thing. Whether that's governments or whether that's with you know our partners or our kids, um, and I don't think conflict is—you know—it's necessary, right? A certain amount of conflict and disagreement is uh, necessary for. Uh, for people to really do do important work, I think so. So this question of, you know, what is your conflict style? Um, The Institute um, for Peace in the United States has this quiz and I can link it in the show notes. Um, But generally speaking, people can tend to avoid conflict, accommodate the other person, compromise, seeking a midway point, uh, collaborate. So really a more of a problem solving style for conflicts or compete. You know, really just asserting what they want and trying to make that as clear and as um, you know achievable as possible. And so, I'll start with Renee. Actually, Renee, how do you um, how do you think you behave in conflict um, in, in, in general and personal in your professional life?
3: Hi, Judy, and thank you for having me on your show. Um, and also a warm welcome to Fadi, who's a long-term friend of mine, and we have been working together for several years. And I'm very excited to be here today. Um, I think uh, I did the quiz um, and, and then the, the result was not um, surprising for me uh, because I, I head up an organization that is very uh, partnership or oriented. Then, of course, I come out very, too, very high, like 82% of, of being a compromiser and 82% of being a problem solver um so it's very much about having everybody heard and and make sure that that we try to to make a compromise especially when we are talking about something that is so complex as, as the the global border situation um, there are many many aspects there is political there is of course what is most important to us the human aspect of everything and and trying to have everybody heard and and make sure that all voices are heard especially the ones who Often in a, in a political situation, are voiceless.
2: Thanks for sharing, Renee. Um, yeah, I scored high on the problem solving, collaborate as well, and also quite high on avoidance and accommodating. And I'll just say, I feel like in the U.S. at least, there's sort of a stigma against you know people who avoid conflict or who accommodate. It's seen um, as a weakness potentially. Uh, I like to frame it or offer another perspective where. Um, you know, sometimes those are the best moves. And sometimes you care about the relationship more than what you're, what you're arguing over, for example, in which case it makes sense to accommodate potentially um, in order to really sustain that long-term relationship with the other person. And so I think there's different things we can think about um, when we're in conflict, what we want and how we can uh, get, get what we want. What about you Fadi? Uh, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Well, uh, first of all, uh, we need to know that uh, having a conflictual situation is something very normal in life. And uh, uh, having a conflict uh, concerning water or or any uh, resources which is linked to the human being and which is linked to the security of uh, our future, I... uh, I personally first try to analyze why the conflict has occurred, gather information before any reaction. So I will adopt uh, a a calming uh, uh, issue, a calming profile, analyze the situation, and then understand why the conflict has emerged. What is the origin of the conflict and why this conflict happens? Then... I will pass to another step, is uh, uh, to see if there is any legal instrument that uh, could help me uh, uh, to arrive to a compromise, could help me to arrive to a win-win situation with uh, conflictual parties. Then, if this legal instrument could be backed up with some technological process or some uh, maybe uh, institutional process. Uh, you know, uh, I'm talking because I'm a water diplomat, and um, I encountered a lot of uh, water conflict during my my career. Mm. And uh, I wouldn't go directly through uh, a conflictual uh, situation, whereas uh, this uh, very important resources. For, uh, for the human being, uh, which is becoming scar resources, could endanger uh, uh, repaying countries, putting themselves one against the other. So my style is to analyze, to study, to gather information, to rely on, uh, as I told you, on legal instrument and go to a compromise, to talk, to uh, negotiate, and uh, also to uh, directly go and uh, with a delegation, of course, because uh, we need to constitute a, a national delegation and, and go and talk and try to convince. Because convincing the other party uh, with those elements that I have highlighted is a very important issue so that we can get to an agreement.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's uh, so much richness in your response, and I can tell how much experience you have with this, how analytical and thoughtful your you know, the, the process is in your head, and also how clear it is, um, how, how clear it sounds when you speak it out loud. I'm sure it's much more difficult when you're actually doing it. Of um, course, yes, I can
1: give examples also, a lot of examples uh, on well, the water conflictual situation or yeah. other situation also, a lot of examples.
2: Well, let's start off with where you are right now in your career. Um, you're with the Cyprus Institute and um, in the Mediterranean and Middle East. And so can you tell us what are some of the challenges that the Cyprus Institute seeks to address?
1: Well, uh, Judy, of course, uh, I am actually at the Cyprus Institute and I, I have always been an academic, an academic uh, professor uh, at uh, the engineering schools uh, in France, in Lebanon, uh, everywhere. And uh, I'm a diplomat, uh, water diplomat from the American Academy of Water Resource Engineers. So I, I landed at the Cyprus Institute three years ago uh, when uh, as an adjunct professor. And now I'm a full time uh, professor, director of the Energy Environment Water Resource Center. Uh, I started with the climate change initiative that has been launched by the Cyprus government uh, targeting the Eastern Mediterranean and Middle Eastern countries so that after the COP21 in France in 2015, Cyprus wanted to play this role because Cyprus can talk to the East, to the West, to the South and to the North. Very well placed. And the Cyprus Institute It's the MIT of the Eastern Mediterranean and Middle Eastern country. And it was created with close partnership with MIT in the United States and the Max Planck Institute in Germany. Uh, So it's uh, a nonprofit research, educational, innovative institution with strong scientific and technological orientation, addressing issues of regional interest linking research, to academia. And the Cyprus Institute, uh, we work a lot on innovation and technological tool that, for example, could be of big help for countries that are looking for desalination uh, using uh, the solar energy. And this is what we do. In Mm -hmm. Proteas, we have a big uh, facility for desalination using heliostat, using windmills using concentrated solar power, mm-hmm. and this concentrated solar power will activate the generation of electricity, pumping devices, and the desalination system so that we can provide uh, potable water with zero carbon emission. This is one example of uh, the innovation features of the Cyprus Institute
3: yeah, now i would I would like to dwell a little bit um, on on especially the area of of the Middle East uh, and the Mediterranean, because, as we know, it it has really been been like um, you can say the the epic center of of many of the international discussions and and how to resolve it because water is is very, very scarce in that area. And what I would be very interested to hear about is is like your conflict. Management, as we touched upon a little bit in the beginning. And also, again, the whole thing of, of actually diplomacy, as you say, again, you are very well situated now in, in Cyprus uh, because you can speak to both sides.
1: <laughs> it's an excellent question, uh, Rene. Uh, uh, we have started implementing at the Cyprus Institute a very innovative program called Hydro Diplomacy Partnership Programme. And this hydro diplomacy partnership program was launched at the World Water Day uh, uh, a few weeks ago on the 22nd of March in order to uh, have a multi scalar approach for water management at the basin level, and uh, which aims to promote equitable sharing and reasonable use between the riparian countries that share a common international basin. And you have highlighted the problem of the Blue Nile uh, with the uh, GERD uh, Dam in Ethiopia. You have highlighted the Tigris and Euphrates, the Jordan River Basin, all these basins, which are under stress and under conflictual situation. And this program that we have highlighted at the Cyprus Institute uh, uh, aim to transform this conflict into a peace sustainable peace project based on the concept of hydro diplomacy linked to the nexus of water, energy, and uh, ecosystem. What is now hydro diplomacy and and how can we achieve uh, peace uh, related to water? Uh, We need first to gather data and information concerning the basins. The water basin without data, without information, won't be able to apply the first process of hydro diplomacy, which is a technical process. Engineers has to stay together, has to talk and to define a monitoring system of the basin under climate change effect and see how much water will be secured to the future generation. So we need to think about the 50, about the 100 year ahead and apply all the hydrological modeling linked to the data that we are gathering in this area of the Eastern Mediterranean and Middle Eastern region so that the engineer could present toolkits for the decision makers based on data, and information. And this is the first step that we need to achieve, and we can do that at the Cyprus Institute because we have a very powerful computer center, supercomputer, uh, the most powerful one in the eastern Mediterranean, and the South Eastern Mediterranean, and the modeling that we are proposing and the scenario for climate change could cover all those transboundary basins and could enhance technological and engineering solution for the riparian country. Then we pass to another step after concluding all the engineering uh, uh, matters, we pass to an institutional matter which is highly important also uh, uh, because without the governance system Uh, without proposing a new governance system for a transboundary basin, we won't be able to apply what the engineers have decided as uh, a technical solution among them for the riparian country.
3: What I'm I'm hearing you saying, um, just to wrap it up in, in a few sentences, is that it's very important to, of course, to agree on valid data but there also needs to be an uh, institution who is who is controlling and, and acknowledging and, and managing that data so that the data itself is not the reason for the conflict. That actually, when you are looking at it from an engineering perspective, that you agree that this is what is happening. This is the risk moving forward. If it's That's too damp, then there will not be enough downstream. Things like that. So that that, that actually solves just- the, the, the you can say a potential conflict item, and that's where the work that you are doing and the institution with the help, of course, of, of supercomputers, that's where you really, you have a, like a, a pivotal role to to have that when it comes to, to actually um, empowering diplom- diplomacy and empowering that everybody's
1: heard. Excellent. And sharing the data also, René, is very important among the stakeholder. Consolidate the data and sharing the data and showing, as you have said, to the decision makers. If you do this infrastructure, without proper monitoring on an upstream country, that will have a consequences, and this is the consequences on the downstream country, on the uh, uh, in fact, on the all water sectors that we are managing, agriculture, uh, domestic use, etc. So the data is highly important. Then we move to the institutional part, the governance part. And and here we need to rely on framework that the international community and the United Nations has put in our hand as the UN Convention of International Water Courses of 1997, which was ratified by the international community, and this give us some hints to apply in order to satisfy equitable sharing and reasonable use. I'm yeah.
2: wondering if we can take a step back, and if you can um, tell us and our listeners what that looks like when you're in the room. Right? Are you in a room with a table? Are the engineers and different country representatives there? Or
1: is- Judy, you're, you're excellent uh, with Renee in asking questions. I can give you a personal. Uh, uh, témoignage, a personal experience is that when we had the Wazani conflict on the Jordan River Basin, uh, I stayed 15 days with the engineers. We didn't see the sunlight in order to, uh, uh, in fact, uh, uh, prepare the necessary water planning, uh, water project, uh, water elements, uh, uh, waiting for the international uh, mediators to come so that we can discuss with other parties what we are doing. So imagine 15 days without seeing the light, working on the computers, making scenarios concerning the water of the upstream Jordan River in order to, to present and highlight all these uh, issue uh, concerning the technical process and then prepare a report to send it to late Secretary General Kofi Annan so that we can uh, present this through the Secretary General Kofi Annan to present it to the other party. So uh, uh, it's really, you work under stress, you work with a lot of engineers, but you need need always to fix that you are building peace, you are building peace up in water, and you are... Building bridges among countries and among societies in order to secure the future generation and avoid any conflictual situation on water.
3: Yeah, and that, that's maybe where, where where I've been a part of this work, as you know. Um, so I, I also know it personally, but what, what I also find very interesting, and I really wanted you to comment on, is also like what is people getting wrong around it? Um, where is it where, where, where when we are, look, we are looking at, at, at having that kind of diplomacy across borders, across religions, um, about personal beliefs, um, and really trying to, to, to get that right in a formulation that everybody can live with?
1: When you are in a conflictual situation, and this conflictual situation, if you don't rely really on a peace, uh, building process in your mind uh, uh, it depends on the profile of each person also Renee and judy uh, uh, i had I had uh, 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 to spend a lot of energy convincing convincing decision makers that uh, we cannot uh, uh, rely on other issue than peace building process concerning water
3: so Fadi, would you say that that like your starting gro- ground is always around that the, the peace building process of and and of and that, that is where you that, that everybody can agree nobody wants conflicts uh, they want of to solve them, and everybody wants to be heard. but that that is like where you set your baseline when you go in and you talk to so many different parties and and you need them to agree on a framework.
1: Excellent. Uh, this is uh, yes, it's it's indeed uh, uh, in fact uh, what what you have uh, now presented. and uh, we start always with this concept. Uh, it depends from each person, and it depends also from uh, uh, really the confidence, the degree of confidence that uh, the decision-makers in, in your country are putting on you. Uh, you cannot, you cannot uh, uh, have a successful negotiation or a peace-building process if the degree of confidence of the decision-makers are not full Respected and full, full with support, full support to you, because if there is any uh, question mark from the decision makers about your behavior, you won't be able to achieve a peace building process with a win win situation. So uh, mm-hmm. you need to have full power. You need to have full power. And you need to be a, a man of peace. If they put their confidence uh, with the, within a, a man of conflicts that will not, can, cannot be achieved. So this is why also it depends from the profile of, uh, of each person and the delegation that you form, uh, you organize to support you. It's highly important.
2: It sounds very high stakes, Fadi. And so I'm wondering, uh, do you ever get nervous doing this kind of work?
1: I don't get nervous. <laughs> no, no. I'm a good listener. I'm a good. Because if you have a conflict, Judy, uh, and this conflict emerge because of maybe having uh, some, some uh, uh the people in front of you are, are not happy. Are not, or they have an excess, an excess of, uh, of uh, uh, puissance, force, an excess of force. So uh, you need to calm down. You need to calm down uh, uh, the game, and uh, you need uh, to be really uh, uh, highly motivated and trans- transparent it's very important not to speak, uh, uh, you know, uh, a language and then to speak another language in front of the party. You need to speak the same language in front of the decision makers that you represent and the same language in front of the other party. Uh, uh, Side deals uh, in, in... some kind of, uh, of uh, conflictual situation cannot lead to a concrete and stable uh, agreement. So transparency is highly important, and this is a quality that, uh, that you should uh, uh, you should uh, apply.
3: So it comes with a, with a high level of integrity and, and honesty um, to be able to actually say, this, this is what is happening. This is to, to like ramp it up. But it also, of course, funny with you, it also comes of, of many years of experience. Um, and um, I have, as I said, I've known you for years and uh, you have had many, many hats and, and many roles. And of course, I'm pretty sure that in the beginning of your career, um, there was there was a little bit more things that that you would you would be nervous about of, of how to resolve. And now with with your experience and going into that uh, shortly, that of course give you that uh, level of understanding each side of the table, understanding um, how the perspective is from from both sides of the table. And that's why I would like to 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 dig a little bit into, of course, your time at at UNESCO um, and and your role that you took there. Um, I know also it's a limited period time role. Um, So could you tell us a little bit more about that, um, uh, around uh, that role you you took and how that came about?
1: Well, thank you so much, uh, René. Uh, I'm I'm really so happy to... uh, to talk uh, about this experience. And uh, I can tell you, uh, you and Judy, that uh, really this is a very, very interesting uh, podcast that we are doing, very interesting interview. Uh, you know, uh, we, we have uh, to think always that UNESCO has uh, a lot of objectives, but one of the obje- objectives is to implement peace. Uh, to implement peace. And within UNESCO, there is uh, two or three major divisions, and the most important one is the science division. And this is why uh, uh, science diplomacy at UNESCO is a very important uh, uh, important issue. And after concluding uh, uh, an agreement on one of the transboundary rivers that I have uh, negotiated. UNESCO asks me to to write a book which uh, concerns science diplomacy and transboundary water management, the Orentos River case. And this book was a model for uh, implementing hydro diplomacy on a transboundary basin. Then uh, uh, I had a call from... uh, 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 some uh, uh, colleagues from UNESCO to work on a very important initiative uh, within uh, the Water and Human uh, Settlement uh, uh, Initiative of UNESCO. And we started thinking together about launching an observatory for monitoring the pollution of transboundary water for uh, enhancing hydro diplomacy, uh, uh, supporting each nation with uh, uh, a, uh, a committee for uh, monitoring all the problems that we can encounter on transboundary basin. And we, we end up uh, towards uh, uh, presenting a project which is called ECOMED, ECOMED Project, for uh, sustainable development of uh, uh, the community on uh, on the basin on the mediterranean basin after this i got a call telling me uh, dr fadi we want you uh, to uh, to be uh, uh, to be to be a candidate for the presidency of uh, uh, of the ihp uh, program the intergovernmental hydrological program at unesco uh, so i told them uh, why me there is a lot of people uh, they can do it but why you thought about me they told me because of the peace process and the scientific uh, background and then i went to unesco to the headquarters, and uh, we had the election in 2019 before COVID, and uh, i was elected by all the nations by all the delegation as chair of ISP for two-year terms. Within this period, uh, uh, under COVID, imagine we managed everything through the computer. Uh, all the meetings were managed through the Visio Conference. We managed to launch and to ratify the new water strategy for UNESCO, uh, which concern the next decade, 2022 till 2030, with an implementation mechanism and a financial mechanism. And this strategy rely on five major pillars. One of the major pillars is bridging governance to science. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time that we link governance to science And uh, another pillar, which is highly important also, is to bridge the gap also between the knowledge and the data. This is why the data uh, is highly important. So it was a beautiful experience. And uh, uh, the last resolution in my first term as chair uh, uh, was to implement the Ecomed Academy. And uh, we have implemented ECOMED Academy with Smart as uh, a secretariat. And uh, we took a decision that uh, all uh, uh, these uh, uh, initiatives will be hosted by the Cyprus Institute because it is an academy, the Cyprus Institute, and we can talk to, to everybody from the Cyprus Institute. And then my term has been renewed as vice chair. Representing uh, the Middle Eastern countries. Mm-hmm. This is Hi. my story with uh, IHP UNESCO.
2: That's very cool, and I'm wondering what do you enjoy about working on the governmental and intergovernmental level? What can you do well here, and what is uh, diff- more difficult potentially?
1: Well, aiming aiming to, to implement peace on water among all uh, the the countries, and to let water really an interlinkage between uh, the countries in order to secure the future generation because the conflictual situation will be through climate change. And this will be the biggest threat that we will encounter uh, in uh, in, in water. And uh, we will have less water, Renee and Judy, and you know, and with less water, uh, we will have a uh, problem of ensuring the food security of, of our uh, future generation. So uh, this is the driving force, is uh, to link science, what we know about water, how we can deal with these resources under, under extreme uh, climate change scenario and uh, uh, preserving these very important resources within the nexus concept to the future generation. This is my driving force.
3: Yeah, and that's very interesting because you're actually creating a link where you say again, like, the basis always have to be data and science, and then it's into diplomacy and, of course, all the other things and politics that will come into it. So in your opinion, what research have you been seen? Have you seen personally that have been most influential in, in changing minds um, and, and opening minds not only changing them, but opening minds uh, for decision-maker in power, uh, both uh, those in, in, in public roles, but also the, those who are, who are controlling on the ground and, and saying, we, "We need to be heard."
1: But what I could uh, advise Rene is, is to follow first the hydro diplomacy partnership program that we are implementing at the Cyprus Institute. It's a three week program, training program for uh, everybody, diplomats, engineers, uh, uh, decision makers, the one who are concerned with water uh, negotiation to follow a week on the technical process to know what is the technical process what is water why we need uh, to to have technological tool and to present scenario uh, concerning the effect of the climate change uh, on water how pollution could affect and endanger uh, uh, downstream countries uh, pollution coming from upstream countries how big infrastructure that are implemented without sharing information, without studying deeply, this this infrastructure could endanger uh, the economy and the social structure of a country, the social structure of the country, and then pass to the second week, which is institutional and diplomatic training, uh, knowing the laws of... uh, 1997, UN 1997, the UNICEF for Europe also, the Helsinki law of 1992, how people have implemented river basin authorities in Europe, and it is a very successful, highly successful issue, and then pass after to the third week of training, which is the, the political political process. So uh, it's a, a very complete program, destined to politicians, decision making engineers, and also uh, a leader, uh, so that they will sit together, they will know the material together, and then they will know the challenge and the stakes also together, and how they can uh, uh, share the benefit of the water diplomacy. This is this is what I can give as a recommendation for them to follow to come and follow this course that we are implementing here at the Cyprus Institute
3: we will we will definitely make sure to to reach out to our audience uh, fadi and, and and dig deeper into that program as well one one follow up question i have that which which always is something that is that is deep to my heart is that Often when you sit with these different parties, from a political point of view, you have a time period that you are elected for. Um, that is often short, seen dealing with, with matters of water that is often long-term mega projects to really resolve it long-term. And you need to have political and, and fast gains how do you see the balance between that, where the ones who are politically in power, um, who are, are, of course, um, for most part, uh, generally elected, um, and then into to the academia, into the side of science, into the side of this is really what we need to, to do. And, and they need to be heard at the same time, also understand that the ones who are in the political power they, they need to execute and have results on the period that they are actually sitting or they are elected for. Uh, that balance, I would be very interested in hearing uh, your point of view on that.
1: Well, uh, first of all, uh, uh, you need to sit with uh, the political uh, representative, the political power, and uh, you need always uh, uh, to, to highlight with them uh, a cooperation model that uh, has been tested uh, throughout uh, the history, uh, which aim to uh, a cooperation uh, a model, implementing policy model between countries. Uh, and here you need all, always to think about the risk that you can encounter from the ignorance of the politician sometimes. Sorry to say that, there is very smart politician, open-minded politician, highly educated politician, but sometimes you, you step up on some ignorant uh, person uh, which does not understand that uh, the, the relation between uh, the engineers and the institutional uh, uh, responsible and the politician uh, should be based upon a sustainable process uh, uh, to develop the economy of the country. Because if you don't think about a sustainable process for a social and economical development for the country, you will not be able to end up uh, with concrete, uh, 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 concrete results that could be a driving force to change drastically uh, the uh, environment of, uh, of a basin, international basin. For example, if, if you say to the politician, if I go through a cooperation model, Uh, uh, that could bring money uh, from the private sector, that could enhance the World Bank to come and help in designing, uh, uh, helping the country in designing new projects for the benefit of uh, the whole riparian countries. This is why you need to convince a politician with a management cooperation model Uh, for the years to come. Otherwise, the politician directly will see what they will get in the short term because they have their election and they need to show uh, the citizen that uh, they brought from, uh, in in their term, in their mandate, uh, uh, some concrete result. So uh, if you can change the mind and the way of thinking of the politician, they will be a very important support to you in your, in your uh, negotiation.
3: Yeah, and that leads me directly into to another question, which, which is, is something that is, of course, very high on the agenda and is debated all over the world, is the privatization of water and Excellent. the control of that. Um, how do we manage that when we go in and there will be water boards or there will be commercial entities that suddenly have a lot of power in distribution, who gets it, and the cost of it. Um, we all know that water is a human right, but it definitely don't mean that it's for free. Uh, and we really have a gap there to, to make it affordable for the ones with very little. Um, and of course, we also know that things like uh, non-revenue water is the biggest challenge for for water management companies all over the world. Uh, what can you do with it? How do we get it in? How do we distribute? The, like the, the share of responsibility to actually provide it. And then there is a commercial aspect to that as well. So it's also about bankability. How how can we actually get get like the whole industry yeah. interesting for for banking the projects and and have that decision making. So I was very interested in hearing your view on that. Orange. thank you thank Orange.
1: you uh, uh, I, am, I am highly supportive i'm give you my personal uh, opinion through my experience i'm highly supported uh, to to let the uh, the private sector shake hands with the public sector uh, but with some uh, uh, prerequisite uh, which is uh, the regulatory authorities uh, the, the PPP, private-public partnership, is highly important uh, within uh, the scope and the concept of regulatory authority so that uh, we, can, uh, we can achieve from one side the goal that we need to achieve uh, concerning the unaccounted for water. Uh, you know, uh, we have megacities especially in the southeastern Mediterranean basin, that uh, the rate of unaccounted of water and the efficiency of the network is only about 50%, unfortunately. And uh, without shaking hands as a private sector, you won't be able to achieve a good efficiency targeting 80%. The private sector know how better than the uh, public sector, how to achieve this efficiency and to widen uh, the, the, the services to other citizens that are uh, uh, not uh, being sufficiently uh, uh, under the, the coverage of the potable water coverage of, uh, of the public sector. So uh, uh, technology is highly linked to the private sector. And the public sector should know how to use the private sector and to implement smart city tools so that the water will not be wasted. Uh, And this water we needed for uh, 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 the problem that we will encounter, which is the climate change. So private sector involvement is highly important, linked to regulatory authority. Number two, The private sector uh, also uh, uh, has to watch uh, through the regulatory authority for the water pricing. So uh, uh, we don't have to forget uh, the social uh, trench of uh, uh, the country and we don't have to forget water for the poor also. So everybody has the right, To water, and the private sector should be under uh, uh, the the restriction of the regulatory authority so that the price of water will remain as it is and the water network will be expanded in order to ensure other coverage of a given city. So uh, I, I feel that without the private sector, Uh, Without this confidence, the game of confidence between the public and the private sector, we won't be able to achieve a win-win situation. But one of the prerequisites is you need a very good administration, a very good public sector, a very good water authority uh, to follow uh, the work of the private sector. And the private sector should be under specific contract, long-term contract, Mm -hmm or short-term contract with the transfer of technology. The private sector should implement smart cities and smart network uh, in cities and uh, implement the new technology so that water will not be wasted.
2: Oh, I'm wondering just, um, you know, we're uh, with the time that we have um, to... Uh, Wrap up our conversation a little bit because I wanted to ask you, with all of your experiences and all the things that we've talked about today, what do you identify the most with—a a diplomat, a scientist, an academic? Uh, where do you see yourself there?
1: Everything. I'm sorry to tell you that uh, to be a water, uh, to be a water diplomat, you need to be a scientist. You need to be an academic you need to follow the development of science because uh, how can you imagine what the climate change will be uh, doing to us if you're not a scientist and you you need to be a diplomat and a politician, everything. You need to wear several hats.
3: Yeah, it's very interesting, Fadi, and I know that we could, we could have a podcast that would be three hours long and we would still not touch on all the, the topics we would like to um one of the things that that is also very dear to my heart is is like what advice like really some key advice to um you can say the private sector and the public sector to do this we know that the, the private sector also have a lot of the the, the research and development budgets they come out with with a lot of new innovation that that builds smart cities and that can assist on that at the same time uh, their barrier and entry uh, problem is often that the political driven cities um, and 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 municipalities um, across the globe they don't feel like being educated and sold to at the same time and then it comes in with the academia in with your background with university networks, where a lot of the research and development, of course, also sits. Like, how can we close that gap? How can we put that in? And what would your advice be to really see an integration from these three aspects into a better and more secure water future for all?
1: Well, I could see that education starting from uh, bottom to up will will create uh, a big momentum uh, for the years to come and uh, science and water education environmental education starting uh, through schools up to university uh, will create a new generation uh, that will know what is the price to pay if we don't implement uh, peace upon water, and if we don't manage water under, under the, the integrated uh, water resource uh, concept. So uh, I think education is the basis, and we need to disseminate education of water, a culture, a new water culture among the young generation through, through the, top, the top management uh, deal. You know, this is what I could say.
2: I think that's a great vision, and that's a really great response to leave our listeners. I think, body. Um, I want to say, I, I do think that you know we could have a much longer podcast, and we'd love to have you back on actually to of, dig of more. Of course, into your we didn't talk. We
1: didn't talk about non-conventional water. We didn't talk about groundwater. About and the I wanna, depletion. I want to hear more and... stories
2: in the room. I want to hear more stories where you're at the table uh, and find a time maybe when you were sweating about something. Um, but it was really great to uh, have this conversation you. with you, Fadi. Um, and thank you so much. I do hope to have you on the podcast again soon. Thank you so much. Um,
1: thank you. Yeah.
0: Thanks for joining us on this episode of The How, a W12 Plus podcast channeling water solutions. W12 Plus is a movement to connect, catalyze, and incubate urban water solutions, starting with local organizations and leaders. Find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, and at our website, w12plus.org. That's w one two. PLUS.org. Thanks, and we hope you join us again next time.